Well, I'm glad I don't wear a toupee. <laughs> this would not be a good day for that. Yeah, it's kind of an interesting drive coming up here. You never knew which direction the wind was going to come out of next. Mostly out of the southwest, but it was strong all the way up. So, put this songbook down here. I've entitled this A New God-Given Order in Heaven. And you don't find those words anywhere in what I'm going to be looking at this morning or what we're going to be looking at, but that is what I see happening in this this morning. And I'm going to go back and give just a quick review of a little bit. I wanted, want us to go to Hebrews chapter 7. And in, I'm just going to read two verses there, verses 17 and 18. Um, no, that's it's 18 and 19, excuse me. For there is verily a disannulling of the commandment going before for the weakness and unprofitableness thereof. So there's a commandment. I, I think that's interesting that it's called a commandment, not a law, not a, a covenant, not a te testament, but a commandment. Going before for the weakness and the unprofitableness thereof. It says it didn't work, is what I see there. For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did, by the which we draw nigh unto God. So we're talking here about a, a better commandment, a more perfect agreement between God and man. And... You say, well, wasn't the law perfect? No, not really. But the imperfection was in human nature. It was in mankind. It was in the Hebrews, but it's in us as well. It's not just them. We can't, nobody, none of us can point fingers. We all have that. And that's what the imperfection of the law was. We see the thou shalt not, and I said, oh, you, that draws your attention to that. Said, and a lot of people are rebellious and say, I'm going to try that, whatever it is, you know. That's not what God wanted. And the Jews found themselves doing just that. They have a human nature, same as you and I. And when God said, Thou shalt not. He meant it. But they couldn't live up to it. They, through their human weakness, through their uh, sinful flesh, could not live up to that. But he made a better hope. And 
a I like to think of that as a more sure confidence but because our confidence isn't in our own ability to stay away from something but our confidence is in God it's his doing it's his accomplishment not ours it's not by our own strength that we do things in in God's service it's as he directs us and he gives us the power and the ability to do it or or in, in this case to not do it and we need to be aware of that that we have a better hope a more sh- a surer confidence because our confidence is in God not in not in our own flesh or our own strength okay and our confidence that better hope is in himself and in his son Jesus that brought perfection it said that the law didn't bring perfection it, that was it, it was weak it was weak for the law made nothing perfect but the bringing in of a better hope did what was made perfect sure wasn't me <laughs> no but we have Jesus who is the son of perfection he who lived as a man and yet did not sin he was able to resist and as a sinless man he could die on the cross and pay the price of my sin of the sins of the world and that is our hope that is where we have confidence he says that is by the which we draw nigh this is our access to god the father the the creator of all is through jesus christ and that is our hope that is where the perfection comes in all right so it wasn't by anything that we could do god did the work and he and it was had nothing to do with us as mankind he he sent his son he authorized and commissioned his son to come here to do that to die on the cross to pay the price of my sin and yours and so if god did it if he's the one who authorized it this was his great plan this was his idea not man's then we have reason to be more sure more confident of what he has done than what we can do he's the one who set the the stars in order set the galaxies in place set the moon and stars in place he's the one who invented life who brought life made it possible made the the world so that it was conducive to living things here on this planet i look i look at all these new planets they've discovered out there and they say oh maybe this one's going to be something we could terraform and make it make it livable no <laughs> i don't want to go there <laughs> no i want to be where god wants me to be it's the same way with sin they're 
there, there's nothing out there that I want, want to participate in. And I find myself having desires that I wish I didn't have, you know, to, to be somewhere else, to be um, whatever it might be. It doesn't matter. If it isn't what God wants for me, that's wrong for me. That's what sin is. Anything that's contrary to God's nature. But I think it's wonderful that I don't have to rely on Ed Brown for that. Because it's God that brought perfection, not me. It wasn't my work. And it is by that assurance, that hope, that trust through faith that we approach God, not by works that we have done or ever could do for that matter. So he says, this is here in verse 19, for we, but bringing in of a better hope did make perfection by the which we draw nigh unto God. It is through Jesus that we can draw nigh to the Father. That, that one who is spirit, and as the woman at the well was told, we must, if we would worship him, we must worship him in spirit and in truth. And so that is how we draw nigh unto God. And in Ephesians chapter 2, and I will go there and read it. You don't need to. You probably know it by heart anyway. Verse 8, it says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Does that sound like it's saying the same thing? It does to me. It says that it's not something I could do. It says by grace. What is grace but unmerited favor? God showed favor to me in sending his son to die on the cross. It wasn't something he wanted to do. It wasn't something that Jesus wanted to do. But he did it for me because he loved me. For by grace are you saved through faith. There's faith. Now that I do have a part in. But it's, he says, he goes on here, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. So God even gives the faith. But one thing that I have a part in there is I have to be willing to accept it. Willing to accept what God has done. Now there are people that say, no, 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 that's, that's nonsense. I don't want to have a part of that. They lose. They lose out. They don't take advantage of the faith that God offers them. They said, no, 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 I, I don't have faith in that. I'll have faith in the, my car out on the freeway, but I won't have faith in God. What? <laughs> no, 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 no. No, I, I'll jump off a cliff and 
believe I can reach to the, the water and not be hurt, not hurt myself down there when I splash in the water. I've, believe it or not, I've done that. 73 feet. Once. Just once. Thought of a hundred good reasons why I shouldn't have on the way down. <laughs> I've, I've done stupid things. We all have. But sin is, choosing sin is a stupid thing that you don't recover from. And you can't on your own. But through faith, we can. By God's grace and through faith, we can do that. Through that gift that God has given us. But it's not of works, lest any man should boast. It says, I can't do it. I can't do it on my own. I can't do any of that on my own. God has done it, though, and made it available to me. I just have to have faith to reach out and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for the wondrous gift that you've given. Because I can't do it. I have to have that realization in my own heart that I can't overcome sin and self and flesh and sin, all of that. I can't do that. But God can do it in me through Jesus Christ. For we are his workmanship. Now that says, you and I, we are his workmanship. He made us, each one of us, each of us in our differences, in our, we, we all have noses, I've noticed. We're similar in that. We have eyes, chins, and all that. And each one of us has different chins and noses and, and hairlines and everything else, you know? All of that. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. He said, now wait a minute. In Christ Jesus, we are created for a purpose. This is why he created us, each of us different and yet similar. But we are created in Christ Jesus in a different manner. We become a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Now, that means the bad works are left behind. We become a new creature. We aren't tempted by those. Now, that doesn't mean that we aren't tempted. Don't get me wrong. But they have less of an allure for us than they had in the past. Created in, unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. God, the Father, said, I want you to be doing good things. Love one another. Look out for the other person as well as for yourself. Even love your enemies. Whoa, wait a minute. Wait a minute, hold it. I have to love that person? Yes. Yes. And by God's grace, we can. But it's only through God's grace. And it's only through him working in and through us to accomplish these things that we are able. All right, let's go back to Hebrews here. Hebrews chapter 8 this time. We're getting closer to where, I, where I'm going to be. This, uh, Chapter 8 and verse 9. 
Yeah, let's see. Oh, there we go. No wonder I was back in seven still. Here we go. Let's back up here a little ways and um, maybe I've messed up in my recording things here. Um, verse 7. For if that first covenant, talking about the law, had been faultless, it without a weakness in it, then should no place have been sought for the second. There wouldn't have been a need for a New Testament, a new agreement between God and man. For finding fault with them, he saith, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant. There's the flaw. They didn't observe the, the rules that God set down. God has all of the, he has all of the goodies. He has everything. He made everything. Even our lives, God made. And so when he makes an agreement with man, he says, I will do this for you if you do this. But that word if is in there. It's in every promise, just about every promise that God gives. He says, I will do this if we choose to do things his way. Now that is something that we say, well, no, wait a minute. Maybe I don't want to do it that way. That's our human nature. That's our, our bent. And, and we need to realize that that's the weakness right there. Not God, not in anything he did, but in, in me. He says, when I brought them up out of Egypt, the, the Hebrews, the, the children of, Ab of Abraham that was, were led by Moses, it says, I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because, but, but they continued not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. He says, I, I said, ah, oh, I can't. I can't deal with this. They won't listen. They won't do things the way that they can be blessed. He was wanting good things for them. He provided for them food, clothing, shelter, guidance, leadership all throughout their journey out of Egypt. Their clothes didn't wear out. They had food that they just had to gather. They had water. That's there were a million people out there. Can you imagine leading the people of the city of Denver across from there to even as far as Pueblo without losing half of them? It wouldn't happen. They'd be off. It's like herding cats. People are that way. You can't herd cats. 
They all have a mind of their own. They go every which way. That's the way people are. So the flaw is in us, not in God. Um, I, that's what I did. So I, I missed one of my verses here. Uh, I'm going to go back and read those. Now this is talking about the things that were in the tabernacle. Now when these things were thus ordained, the priests went always into the first tabernacle. Uh, no, I'm, I'm going to read right from the beginning of this chapter 9. Let's go back to verse 1 of chapter 9. Then verily the first covenant had no or had also ordinances of divine service and a worldly sanctuary. In other words, it was something that was created. They could look at it. They could see it. It was there. It was something that Moses was given the plan for and he made it as close to the heavenly vision as he could. He says, or it says, for there was a tabernacle, that is a tent, made the first wherein was the candlestick and the table and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. This is the sanctuary that brought into that. And after the second veil, that is the curtain, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all. This was a, an inner sanctuary, sanctuary uh, in, in inner part of the tabernacle which had the golden golden censer and the ark of the covenant overlaid round about with gold wherein was the golden pot that had manna and Aaron's rod that budded and the tables of of covenant these are are the the two stones that Moses brought down off of the mountain and in which the law was written the Ten Commandments, those were there in that, in that Ark of the Covenant. And over, the, over it, the cherubims of glory, shadowing the mercy seat, of which we cannot now speak particularly. He says, I can't give you details about this. We couldn't go in there, into that holiest of holies. No one could but the high priest. And we can't now speak particularly or in detail. We can't tell you what it looked like exactly. Now, when these things were thus ordained, the priest went always into the first tabernacle. <clears throat> Excuse me. So that first tabernacle, they went in every day and they did the service to God, whatever God had ordained for them to do accomplishing the service of God. But into the second went the high priest alone every, once every year, not without blood. He said he didn't go in there without blood. He had to do a blood sacrifice first. 
which he offered for himself and for the sins of, or errors of the people. It wasn't, but he had to offer sin for his own self first. And then he could offer sin, offer sacrifices for the sins of the people. <clears throat> Pardon me, I've got something here that's giving me trouble. All right, let's see if that'll help. Um, okay, when he went in to there, as a, I pointed out in one of the other classes, they, he went in, when he went in there once a year, they tied a rope onto his leg, and they, he had bells on the bottom of his robe so that they could tell whether he was moving around in there. Is he still alive? Is he still functioning? Did, has he done something wrong? And if he did, they weren't going in there. Oh, thank you. They weren't going to go in there because, of, because God said, you only go in there once a year. And, and that is with blood. And so you had to have blood for yourself. And as a high priest, you had to go in there with the blood of, for your sacrifice and blood also for the people and for their offerings, whatever those were. And they were specified what those offerings were to be. And so they, let me, let me get some of this water in there. Maybe it'll help Thank you, Donna. Appreciate that. <clears throat> um, all right. But what, what, verse 8 here, it says, the Holy Ghost, this signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest. It wasn't made open. Uh, it wasn't revealed. It wasn't set forth. Um, while as the first tabernacle was standing. So the whole time that that tabernacle was standing, and even when they went to the temple, they still had an inner sanctuary there. And that wasn't open to anybody and everybody. Matter of fact, it wasn't even open to most of the priests. Only one priest went in once a year. And that was with fear and trembling that he went in there. With the offering of blood. All right. Which was a figure for the time then present in which we, in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices <coughs> that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience. So they made offerings for their sins but it didn't make them perfect. It was it fell short of that. Cuz they were doing they were doing what was a a figure or a picture or what Moses had a vision of in heaven that God gave him that vision. 
And they only stood for, well, verse 10 says, which stood only in meats and drinks and diverse washings and carnal ordinances. That's an interesting term. Um, fleshly regulations. There were things that were regulations for this earthly time. And and they there were different kinds of uh, washings and drink offerings and heave offerings and wave offerings and they they were all outlined in the Old Testament, but they were ordinances, laws, uh, regulations that were worldly. They they didn't apply in heaven, even though it was a picture of what was happening what God had in heaven. But Christ, being come an high priest of good things to, to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, not of this world, but of heaven and heavenly things. He became our high priest on that level, not on the earthly level, not on a worldly thing, but Christ being common high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle. It was, it was, it was more than we had ever seen, more than we could understand. Not made with hands, that is, no man made it. Now, all the things that Moses had made, God gave people talents and the ability to make them and make them as perfect as they possibly could according to God's the vision of what Moses saw. But these were not made with hands. This was of God's doing and not mankind. That is to say, not of this building, of our ability to build things. We, we build things on earth. Here we've got everything from whatever, from wheels to, to automobiles, from small things like matches, safety pins. We make those things, don't we? But we also make skyscrapers and we make computers we make mankind makes these things but this is god's doing it's on a spiritual level a level that we don't even know how to do but god has done it um, verse 9 which was a figure for the time then present, in the which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not be made, that could not make him that did the sacrifice perfect as pertaining to the conscience. That didn't clear a man's conscience. If, he'd made, if, he, was a sin, <clears throat> if he was sinning and he knew it and he came to bring an offering, he knew that that, bull or goat or or sheep or whatever his offering was wasn't going to cleanse his conscience 
He still knew what he had done. <clears throat> he said, which stood only in meat and drinks and diverse washings and carnal ordinances. Uh, earthly regulations imposed on them until the time of the Reformation. That verse, or that phrase right there, the time of the Reformation, that is this new God-given order that God brought in in the person of Jesus Christ. And when he died on the cross, that temple was torn in two in the, in the temple. And God gave man access through Jesus Christ into that Holy of Holies, into that inner sanctum, that inner place. <clears throat> Verse 11 says, But Christ, being come an high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, or of this world, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but of his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. He obtained that through his death for us, for me, for you. For the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh. If it, if it could do that, then God said, okay, I'll overlook your sins for a year. But they came back and had to do it again next year. But verse 14 goes on, he says, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? He cleansed us by his blood. Now these things were sprinkled and the ashes of a heifer and all of that, those were for cleansing. But nobody was fooled by that. It didn't take away the conscience of, of sin. But Jesus came and made a perfect offering of himself. And in so doing, purged our conscience from dead works, there in verse 14, to serve the living God for that purpose, so that we can serve the living God. It wasn't just doing it because he wanted to, but for the purpose of making us able to serve. And for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, the same sort of sins that they had, we have. Okay? They which are called might that those that they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Eternal inheritance? Where'd that come from? That's the better promises that were talked about, that the covenant was built upon. Eternal inheritance. 
Who's that for? Those who receive God's will by faith, who receive these things and say, I believe, therefore I want what God has offered. I want it for me in my life. And I'm willing to give whatever it takes to have that. That's the kind of faith that we need. It was the kind that Abraham had when he left the era of the Chaldees. And God says, go and I'll make a great nation of you out of your seed, your children. And I will give you the land. It's yours, but you have to go by faith. Just leave your family, leave your friends, leave all that you've ever known behind and go. Take your tent and pack your, pack your duds and go. That's, that's faith. <laughs> yeah. It's something else. And, I, and you have to do that to be, I want to say, able to serve the Lord. Yes. In the right spirit and frame of mind. Yes. Now, and it wasn't as though Abraham was being run out of the air of the Chaldees. No. He was going because God had promised him a new land. What about Noah? This man started building a, a Queen Mary, a ship, a, a huge thing. Out there in the middle of nowhere, they, hadn't, they didn't even have rain. And here he's building a, not, not a boat, not a kayak, not a canoe, not something that was useful maybe on the river or on a... No, 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 no. He was building this massive thing that hold tons of literally tons of animals and the food for them and the food for the people. and I, It was like building a Marriott hotel <laughs> that floated. And everybody around him says, Noah, what are you up to? What kind of a monstrosity is this thing you're building? You're foolish. Where are you going to float that thing? How are you going to get it there? He didn't, didn't ask, he didn't listen to the people around him. He listened to God. And by faith, he acted in fear. The fear of God. Said God said to build it because he's going to destroy the world. And they said, oh, come on. We've, we've been here, it's never rained. And you're going to have a boat that big? No, no, no. Ridicule is hard for a man to receive. I've been ridiculed. I've been ridiculed. I, when I was in grade school, I couldn't climb that big rope. I was the only got boy in the class that could not climb the rope up to the top. I'd had a brain injury. I wasn't coordinated. And I was ridiculed. I, I have been the subject of ridicule even from other people because I couldn't at that time even carry on a conversation. By the time I thought of what to say, the conversation had already moved on at least twice. I was ridiculed. I know what ridicule is. It's not easy to take. 
But these people acted in faith. We think of Moses. And he acted in faith in leading people out of Egypt. We think of others, that, whether it's Abraham, Moses, uh, David. These people acted in faith. And at, when they did, they received the blessing of God. God says, you do this and I will do this. And God is faithful, always. And he has done those things. Uh, it says, that verse 13 says, if the animal blood sacrifice were sufficient for, for that time for the setting aside of the sins of a nation, verse 14 goes on, he says, how much more shall the blood of Christ purge or cleanse our conscience? Now, I'm paraphrasing this, by the way, in case you were reading along with me here. How much more shall the blood of Christ be able to purge and cleanse your conscience so that you can serve the living God? This is what's God's purpose. Do you want God's purpose in your life? Or do you want to go out and pay the price of your own sin? It says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Eternal life. That's that inheritance that was spoken of. And our, uh, our willingness to accept God by faith and his way will be the, uh, the measure of how we are judged of God. Do we receive all that he has offered? Are we willing to put aside, endure the ridicule, endure suffering, whatever it might take? Are you willing? That willingness is what God wants in each of us. And that he will give us the faith to lay hold on those things if we're willing to accept that faith. But it takes a willingness and that's the hard part. That's where it pinges on me. I have to be willing. God can't do that for you. He can give you reasons why you should. He can give you lots of them. Matter of fact, there are a lot more reasons to serve God than not to. A lot more. It's exactly... Where, try the spirits, it says. Know who's talking to you, trying to convince you to, to want a yacht or a, a, a 747 or whatever it is you might have your eye on, you know? No. Well, I'm going to stop here. Our, our time is up, and rather than... Because I... I got into some interesting things in this last night in my study, and we're not going to be able to cover those in another two minutes. <laughs> so, but we need to look at that and realize that it's, it's me. 
I'm the, I'm the problem. Uh, it says, for the, concerning the children of Israel, because they continued not in my covenant. And that was the Old Testament covenant. He said, you do this and I'll do this. God did that. He did what he said he would do, but they could not do it because of their own self. What about me? Have I got that problem? <laughs> yeah. Am I willful? Do I want to do things my way? Yeah. But I found that doing things God's way is better. It's better for me. I'm blessed more. Even here on this earth, I'm blessed more. How much more shall it be in, in heaven? That heavenly inheritance that once this physical body is gone, when, once I die and my spirit moves on by God's love and by his grace, I'll get that inheritance with him in heavenly places. I'll get to see this tabernacle that God built. I'll get to see that by God, by God's grace and only by God's grace. There's nothing I can do to get there but to give God his way for my life so that he can bless me. I'm the one that keeps me from trouble. My brother Dave said, and he said this since I can remember, he said, I've got a problem, Ed. He says, everywhere I go, there I am. <laughs> I get in my own way. I'm the problem. I, I put something down and forget where I put it. Have you ever done that? No, no none of you have done that. And I, I look around, I can't find it. And sure enough, when I do find it, it was right where I put it. <laughs> no, I'm the problem. My, my memory's faulty. Oh, me? No, no, no. But I have come a long way by God's grace. I've learned a lot in service to God. And I've been blessed at every turn when I turn his way. When I turn my way... All bets are off. <laughs> no, no, no. You don't know what you're going to run into going the other way. But there have even been times when God's blessed me in spite of myself. He loved me anyway. Well, we'll, we'll pick up here next week. And I thank you for listening. And maybe, maybe you think you've been listening to the ranting of a madman. I don't know. But... We all are. We all are. Okay. Well, I'm glad I'm not alone. <laughs> but, but God's way is better. It's always better. I have found that to be true. Amen. I, I've experienced it. And I have a lot, lot more to look forward to in the future. That's what's exciting. This world is nothing by comparison. I'm looking forward to that. You know, death will be an opportunity for me 
to leave all of this behind. All, all of the sickness, all of the stupidity, all of the... It says we will know as we are known. We're going to know things. I've, I've got a whole lot of questions that I want answered. <laughs> I've got a lot of them. And I don't know how long it's going to take, but by God's grace, we'll have eternity to find out. Well, let's look forward to that time and put our, put our trust in his work. In give, you take advantage of that faith that he gives you because you can't find it anywhere else. You put your faith in things in this world, and they will fall short. And so we, we need to put our trust in him, not in ourselves. Thank you. Thank you for listening.
My mother and her siblings all felt that loss because they were old enough to comprehend it. But you cannot comprehend the loss of a parent. A parent has for their child. So, but God wasn't losing his son. His son was there and he was fulfilling the purpose that he had set him out to do. And thus he demonstrated his love for us. That we might have the opportunity to be redeemed so that we can worship God in spirit and in truth. That is love. The love that we should strive to show to others. What does it say in the scripture? No, no greater love hath a, hath a man than to lay down his life for a friend. How many of us would be willing to do that for one another? I mean, we're, we're to, if we're truly to take the life of Christ and his example and follow it, if it was for their protection, would we do it? The scripture attests to that, that we lay down our lives for one another. It may not be physically laying down our lives, but spiritually speaking, lay our old life aside, our old self. Without <clears throat> this dear love that, we, that he mentions here, the affection and care for the creation that he would have such a way to redeem an opportunity for us to inherit a position at, in his, as his people. Without such love, we would not have the gracious opportunity in Christ. Such sacrifices and act of lo acts of love that the apostles and disciples subjected themselves to beatings, whippings, stonings, being put to death just for their love of the Lord and for doing what he had commissioned them to do, that which was to go and preach and teach and baptize and make disciples in the world. They had a far more grueling task that Christ assigned to them than we do today. Why? Because they had to establish the church. But the hardest part of that was, was to establish it. They had to go through all these different mindsets and, and speak to people in love, even though they hated them. 
talking about the people that they spoke to hated them, not them hating the people they spoke to. But we have a duty now, today, that we continue to build on the foundations that the disciples and the apostles built in the time of Christ. In love, mind you. In love. And it is with our ability to practice this love that he mentions there, that is required, that allows us to keep this from falling apart, demonstrating the love of Christ through the what? Through the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Let's go back over to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 again. <clears throat> Focusing our attention on verse 3, it says, And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. In verse 3 here, it mentions that without love, for these other acts of giving to the less fortunate and giving of oneself as a martyr provides no fulfillment without love. Why is that? Because without the love of the people that you're, that you're trying to further, it means nothing. When you, I, I think about this many times, is there are people that do things just to be noticed by men. They do these grand acts of, you know, martyrdom or, you know, that we see in the, the nations that have Islam as their primary religion. They give themselves up in the name of Allah or in the name of their God. But it's not done with love. It's done with anger and with hatred for those that they want to manifest their judgment on. Does it mean anything to their religion? Does it, does it fulfill the people that they serve with? No. It, provi it just provides grief and suffering and all these other things that the world, the world provides for them. I won't spend time picking on those people, but the fulfillment of love is that they lay down their lives for those that they care for, for their God, and for their fellow servants in Christ. God sending his only son for a sacrifice so that his creation might have a way to be redeemed back pre-Adamic sin. He wants to restore it back to the way it was before the fall of man. Again, something hard for us to comprehend because we haven't seen what it was like before that. The same sacrifice that Christ, that Christ gave in love and obedience to the Lord made that sacrifice so that it might be redeemed back to a point in which the Lord would have it from the beginning of time. Because he loved his Father, he was willing to give himself all and any opportunity in life he had for others if you look there in verse 4 what does it say it says charity suffereth long and is kind charity envieth not charity vaunteth not itself and is not puffed up hard for us to understand what vaunteth is because we don't use that word anymore we know it as, as promoting oneself 
above others. These are the attributes of love. It doesn't put itself above. I don't put myself above you all. You know, I have seen pastors say, well, I'm the pastor and you listen to what I say. Well, it's not what I say goes. But it's what the Lord says goes because I love the Lord and I want to see you all successful in serving the Lord. Christ, Scripture talks about Christ humbling himself to the point of a servant. When his station could have been much higher up there, didn't he? He could have manifested his power, but yet he chose to humble himself in the form of a man as a servant to those around him. That's love. Seeking not his own good, but those that would serve the Lord in love and in faith and in hope of what? The opportunity to reach a point where we can inherit an eternal life with our God. Without our love for one another, we don't follow the same pattern and example that Christ showed before us. We see the example in which others have not followed the pattern and example of Christ. You see that with Ananias and Sapphira. I still use this to this day. All the church there where, where they were, were was giving of themselves. They were selling their property. They were selling their goods and giving it to the church because that's the promise they had all made. But Ananias and Sapphira kept back a portion of that and lied about it. Why? For their own benefit. And what happened as a result of that withholding? They paid the price. They paid the price with their life. The Lord was still in control then and he's still in control now. We shouldn't hold back our love just for the sake of ourself. Otherwise, we what? We vaunteth ourselves, right? The church would not have been as it is today if we, if these disciples and the apostles put themselves above their service to the Lord, their love for the Lord. This is why love is so superior in its importance with faith and hope. Let's look at Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. We'll start in verse 13. <clears throat> says, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use your liberty for an occasion to the flesh. But by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if ye bide and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. This I say then, walk in the spirit as ye shall not, and, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another. So that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led of the spirit, ye are not under the law. 
not the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envying, murders, drunkenness, reveling, and such, such the like, of which I tell you before, as I have also told you in the time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. And they are Christ have crucified the flesh with the afflictions and lust. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us do not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another and envying one another. So this encouragement here in chapter 5 of Galatians by Brother Paul says, what? No longer fulfill or participate in the deeds of the flesh as the world does. He speaks of biting and devouring one another. This particular passage notes, uh, being led by the Spirit, we no longer should participate in such things. I see this on a daily basis in the work environment. I'm sure you all have seen it. People get wound up and gossip and trouble, and they want to step on the next person to get their leg up and go on to the next level. But the thing is, is that there's, there's still, there's nothing that's going to fulfill all of that. They're still going to keep going. That same attribute has no place in the Lord's assembly. Why? Because if we love one another, we're not going to bite and devour one another. We're not going to be caught up in speculation and drama and things like that. Although they do happen, sometimes we take our eye off the Lord and sometimes we forget how to love. I know you've all seen it, and I've seen it in my time on this, in this earth. But he's calling their focus back. Don't participate in these things. Divert your attention. And he names those things in the flesh which they're not to partake in. Why? Because sometimes they creep in. And he wants them to be aware here in this reading of what they are. So that they can, they can avoid such things. They can be spiritually prepared through prayer and study. And encouraging one another. Why do you think the scripture tells us about fellowship and encouragement? Those things are needed. Because we can encourage one another in our weaknesses and the things that we struggle with. Through love. Our love and concern for one another. This dear love we've talked about. Because why? He says there in the latter part of verse 21, they, they, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Is that our desire? Is that someone should miss out on the kingdom of God? Absolutely not. It should be our love that should motivate us to help our brothers and sisters to overcome such things in Christ. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. Oh, the first thing he mentions there is love. Why? 
Because without love, you can't have the rest of these things. I mentioned it as the glue. It's the bow too. It kind of keeps things tied up nice and nice and neat and it holds everything together. So are we being led by the spirit of the flesh or what? Or the, or the fruit of the spirit of God? These fruits of the spirit are important. One must place himself in subjection unto the Lord. The verdict was clear for those who follow after the flesh will inherit not the kingdom of God. He continues over there in chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. It says, Brethren, if any, uh, if any man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of meekness. Considering thyself, lest thou be also tempted, bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. You're like, Brother, that's a, different, that's, that's a different chapter there. Ah, but it's the same thought. Nothing different there. He says, brethren, if any man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual. I pray that doesn't happen, but it does happen. And that if we have an opportunity, we see someone who's struggling like this, it's our obligation and our duty in love to help that brother and sister. He says also there in this, consider ourselves also lest we be tempted too. This is love demonstrated that we help one another. Just as Christ also provided a sacrifice and a way for us to be in him and have an opportunity to seek the kingdom and eternal life that is provided with it. So this should also help us consider our own walk and avoiding the failings which the scripture does bear out here of these brothers and sisters. To avoid these missteps might just help our brothers and sisters in Christ as well. Let's look at 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. It's quite a lengthy reading there. It's about 15 or so verses. It says, Beloved, let us, there in verse 7 of chapter 4 of 1 John. It says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And every one that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. And he that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God towards us because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we loved, loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man hath seen God in any time, and if we love one another, God dwelleth in us. And his love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in him, and that he in us, because he hath given us 
of his spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be a Savior of the world. And whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, and God dwelleth in him, and he in God, and we have known and believed the love that God hath to us, God is love, and that he dwelleth in love, dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in, in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear. Because fear hath torment, and he that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. And if a man saith, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. Now, I I must admit that the King James Version here provides a little bit of a tongue twister when you're reading through those passages. You can see my tongue get tripped up. But don't worry, I I get it. (laughs) So, we ought to love as God loves. I know this, and I, I've, I've had this thought myself, that it's easy to love people that are cleaned up and nice and pretty, aren't they? But when we see people out there that are you know, dirty and grungy, and it's easy for us to say, oh, that's an unsightly thing, and let's just get them out of the way. <clears throat> Seen it where people have come into churches and they've been shunned because of their presentation. Scripture bears that out too. But is it not our opportunity and our obligation, even those people that are more unseemly and unsightly, to still portray the love of God to them? Not showing our love or demonstrating the love of God to someone who looks nice. But I know that there are a lot of folks out there that use that appearance to manipulate people into providing money for them. But I believe the scripture also testifies and bears out that we are to demonstrate the love of God to others. If they're doing it unintentionally, if they're doing it maliciously, that's on them. But it's not. It's still our obligation to love that person and to show them what God is about. This is something that we've struggled with back home in Arkansas before we moved here. I'm not talking about us per se, but people, we would go to services sometimes and people would complain, oh, and that unsightly, that panhandler out there on the corner, you know, I don't know their circumstance and I can't point my finger and say they're manipulating, they're trying to get money, but but showing the love of God to them is just as important as it is as showing it to one another here. And I, I'm not chasing a rabbit for, for a purpose, but it's easy for us to just say, oh, we'll have love for one another, but we still need to manifest that love to the world, as Christ did. And he bear that love out even 
at the insults and the taunts of others. I think about when he was walking up to be crucified and the man that helped bury him helped bear the cross up to the point where he was crucified. He seemed to have a love and concern for Christ. He knew who he was, I believe. Scripture bears that out. But he helped carry the cross and he had difficulty helping him carry that cross. I think we need to have a lot to learn from that brother there that helped Jesus carry the cross. Because that was difficult. But that is the manifestation of how we are to bear up one another and to those that are struggling. That's how we show the love of God to others and to ourselves. But we ought not to think more highly of ourselves than we... It is a natural struggle in this flesh to desire and care for ourselves. That's how the flesh is. But the Spirit bears out what? Care for others, concern, love for one another. Like you talked about this morning about your sister-in-law. concern for their salvation, a concern for their service to the Lord, a concern for their well-being spiritually, physically, mentally. Christ's ministry was not in the way of the flesh to promote self. But it was a fulfillment of the scripture that this patterned example we should follow. Not without love, but following Christ's example of love and care for others, even to the point of death. Not for our own enjoyment or our own self-fulfillment, but the fulfillment and the opportunity for others to experience the opportunity of life in Christ. That's how we should pattern ourselves. James chapter 2 is the last place we'll turn. <clears throat> James chapter 2 and verse 7 through 13. We'll start in verse 7 there. James chapter 2. Do not they blaspheme that, uh, that worthy name by which ye are called? If ye fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Ye do well. But if ye have respect to persons, ye commit sin and are convicted of the law as transgressors. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty in all. For he that said, do not commit adultery, said also, do not kill now if thou commit no adultery, yet if thou kill, thou art become a transgressor of the law. So speak ye, and so do, as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. For he shall have judgment without mercy, that have showed no mercy. And mercy rejoiceth against judgment. 
What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he, if he hath faith and have not works? Can faith save him? We'll stop there. So without love, we cannot build relationships in Christ. It's impossible. Such love allows us to build, build a bond with others as Christ built a bond with the apostles and those disciples which he trained. Even to the point at, uh, in the garden, what did Peter do? Because of his love for the Lord and his short-sightedness in realizing what Christ was supposed to do, he chopped off the earlobe of a guard because he loved Christ. He was motivated to that point. But what did Jesus do? He rebuked him for that. Why? Because he still loved his enemy even at that point. How many of us can do that? In Christ we can. But in selfish and self-love, the love of the world, that can't that just can't be carried out like it can in Christ. Our love glues us together as Jesus so cared for us and gave us life and taught all at all for all of us to have an opportunity to show that his way of love was superior to the law. Praise the Lord through whom all blessings flow for this miracle. How does this make a difference for us? Love cannot be skimped on or not used because without the example of love, we will exceedingly neglect our responsibility in Christ. So let us consider this week how we demonstrate the love of Christ to others. Pour over that 13th chapter of Corinthians and read those words. Study those words and pray over them because we just might find a better way of doing things than we do now not saying that anybody doesn't manifest love. But we always need to be as we do in our service. It's a constant, continual process in which the Lord hammers out and perfects us into his likeness. But it requires us to submit ourselves in love and look at ourselves, examine ourselves in accordance with how our life reconciles with the scripture and the life of Christ. And consider that without love, we have nothing. That's all I have for you this morning.